0: 1st Timothy chapter 2 again verses 1 through about 6 I exhort therefore that first of all supplication prayers intercession and giving of thanks be made for all men for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Heavenly Father, we do ask again for thy blessings to be upon the reading of Holy Scripture. We pray, Lord, uh, for help as we come uh, through this book and especially now in chapter 2. Pray for thy guidance and thy leading, for it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be taking verse 4 uh, tonight and, and considering this. Last week we were in verse 2 and 3, and we titled that, Praying for Leaders. And I'm just going to title the message tonight, All Men Can Be Saved. Notice in verse 4 again, as we read this, he says here in verse 4, speaking of God, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Uh, we find that God's will and desire for all men is that they would be saved. And we are told, and I'll mention this here in just a moment, but we're told to pray for all men in the passage. Now, when he mentions here in verse uh, 4, who will have, that is God's will, God's desire, who will have all men to be saved. And Ezekiel chapter 33 verse 11 says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways, for why will ye die, O house of Israel? God does not take pleasure in the death or the damnation of the wicked. And as we come through the Scriptures, we find, again, the word will here. God will have all men to be saved. This is, again, an expression of God's desire, His wish, not necessarily His decree. And uh, He wills salvation for all men and wills that we pray for all men, as we looked at in the last two weeks in verses 1 and then in verse 2 and 3. We find that this is why the gospel is to be preached to every creature. Matthew chapter 28 and uh, also the book of Mark in chapter 16. At the end of each one of the four gospels, we have uh, the Great Commission, uh, so to speak, and then in Acts chapter 1 as well in verse 8. So he says in verse 4, "...who will have all men to be saved and come." unto the knowledge of the truth turn with me to chapter 4 notice here in chapter 4 now in 2nd peter 3 9 the bible tells us that god is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance it is god's will that all come to repentance And if you read in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1, he speaks of the false prophets. A whole chapter is dealing with false prophets. But also he says that they were bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. They deny the one who had bought them. Now, when he talks about all men, notice in chapter 4, and we're reading here in verse... um, uh, chapter 4, verse 10. I'm just going to read one verse. He said, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially, notice, specially of those that believe. Notice that the Lord Jesus is the Savior, or God is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And that's what I want to emphasize tonight. And uh, I have, we're going to cover more than just one verse. Notice as we turn back. But I just wanted to stop here at verse 4. Next week we'll take verse 5, 6, and 7. And then the following week we'll take verse 8. But notice as we come back here, we see here that it is God's will that we pray for all men. Notice as we look at verse 1, he said, I exhort therefore that first of all supplication, prayer, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made notice for all men, all men. Then he said in verse 2, for kings and for all that are in authority. And then notice now in verse 6, speaking of Christ, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The all of verse four is the all of verse one and has nothing to do with the elect only as in verse six. In other words, verse six, he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So we see the importance that the gospel is for all of humanity, first century, for Jew and Gentile, that includes all the peoples upon the earth. Men have a free will and thereby must choose salvation. And uh, there are those who do not believe that all men can be saved. And we did a series back in... Well, let me just go back farther than 2017. But we wrote an article titled Hyper-Calvinism in 2003... And then in uh, 2011, we actually preached a message on it then, but we re-preached that message in 2011. And then in 2017, I did a whole series. I had a plan not to touch this again, just uh, refer people to the series. But in 2017, we preached a message titled Free Will, another one Calling, another one Election, another one titled Election and Problem Text." Then another one foreknowledge, another one predestination, and then another one is faith, the gift of God in Ephesians two eight and nine, and then another one. This is ten total, titled Trinitarian Salvation, when we were in First Peter chapter one and in verse two in the First Peter series. So, so there's ten messages that we have on this particular subject. Now, let's read verse 4 again, and let's, let's focus in on the first half of the verse. And notice he said, who will have all men to be saved. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 23. In Matthew chapter 23, and notice here. I think it's important that we have a good balance with this particular subject. And I'll show you why in just a moment. But here's some verses. I just wrote these down. I've used some of these before. But in John chapter 3 and verse 16 alone, we have that, you know, God gave His Son for the world. And when the world there doesn't mean the world of the elect. It's talking about the world of humanity. And the word whosoever is used in the passage as well see this similar in verse 15 and verse 17 in john 1 verse 7 through 9 and uh, we find that all men can be saved and verse 21 or verse 29 rather also uh, the lamb of god that uh, you know came to die for the sins the sin of the world in John chapter 4 and verse 42, Jesus is called the Savior of the world. In John 16, verses 8 through 11, the Holy Spirit has come to reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8, Jesus died for the ungodly, the sinner, and enemies. In Acts 17, we may turn there later, we have the subject of repentance and faith, and so forth, but he commanded all men everywhere to repent. In 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 14, if one died for all, then we're all dead. 2 Corinthians 5, 19, he's reconciling the world unto himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2, 9, he tasted death for every Man. Second Peter three nine we just quoted that and second Peter two one I just gave you that. But in, in uh, Titus chapter two verse eleven says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. In other words, all men, all women can be saved. Romans 1:16. the gospel of Christ is the power of God and the salvation to every one that believeth. At Luke 2.10, at the birth of Jesus Christ, quoting this now, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. Revelation 22, verse 17, a part of the verse says, And whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. The word come is used three times in the verse, and the verse is talking about salvation. Romans um 5:18 says, therefore by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. John 12:32 and 33 we read that this morning. In our sermon dealing with the crucifixion, Jesus said he would if he be lifted up, he would draw all men unto himself john seven thirty seven If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink matthew eleven twenty eight come unto me all ye that labour and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just a few more in first Timothy um, chapter one and verse five, this is a faithful saying. And worthy of all, acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And that's really verse 15 and not verse 5. But listen to just a few others. In 1 John 2 and verse 2, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. These, same, these verses are clear. And you always want to interpret the obscure verses in light of those that are clear. And 1 John 4, verse 14, part of that verse says, The Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And the world in 1 John, according to chapter 5 and verse 19, speaks of all humanity, for the whole world lieth in uh, wickedness, or something of that nature. Now, one other passage, John six fifty one. This is only a part of the verse speaking of Jesus as a living bread. It said, if any man shall eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And those are just a few verses that we find on this subject. Now, notice as we come to Matthew in the book of Matthew in chapter 23, and again, man has a free will, and uh, he can choose to believe or not to believe, and uh, I think that's pretty clear as we come through the Scriptures. Notice, I'm going to just pick a reading up in verse 37, because as you step into verse... uh, chapter 24 he's speaking of the destruction of the temple where not one stone would be left upon another and that obviously happened in a.d 70 but he said in chapter 23 verse 37 o jerusalem jerusalem thou that killeth the prophets and stonest them that are sent unto thee how often now look at this how often would i have gathered "...thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. For behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth, till ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord." Now I want to come back to verse 37. Notice in the middle of that verse, he said, "...how often would I have gathered thy children." Would he have gathered the, the children of Israel? Yes. But notice the last three, four words. He says, and ye would not. They had a choice. Some believed, some did not. And some received eternal life. Peter, James, and John and others. The 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. and But we find here that as a nation, as a whole... Jerusalem and was destroyed in A.D. 70. So he said, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings? He said, I would do this. But then he says, and ye would not. Turn with me to the book of Genesis and notice with me in Genesis chapter four. In the book of Genesis chapter four, I'm going to give you a few quotes here in, in just a few moments, Genesis chapter four. Now notice as we come here and I, I just want to read one verse, um, basically just for time's sake. And, um, well, we'll read two, let's see verse, let's read, uh, verse six and seven. This is where Cain and Abel bring a sacrifice. And we know that Abel's sacrifice was accepted because he is obedient to God's word. Cain was rejected. Now, Cain is mentioned in the New Testament in Hebrews eleven four, in contrast to Abel's faith. Um, he's also mentioned in 1 John two twelve. He's considered of, the, of that wicked one. And he's mentioned in the book of Jude, speaks of the way of Cain. He made a choice that he was going to do what he wanted to do. Now, Adam and Eve, in their innocence, they were created with a free will, and they never lost that free will. They had a choice to make. And we know that they made a choice in the very beginning to disobey God and ultimately were cast out of the Garden of Eden. They had a free will. And we find here that Cain and Abel also had a free will. And again, salvation uh, in the New Testament is based upon in Acts 17, 30 and 31, as I just mentioned earlier. It is conditional. It's based upon repentance and faith. Now notice as we read, and I'll just go ahead and read uh, verse 6 with verse 7. And he says this uh, in, in, in our passage. He says, And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well. Now make note of that statement. If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? That's pretty clear to me. And he said, And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Now, a latter part of that verse is debated about what all it means, but I know that the first part of it, he says, If thou doest well, that is bringing the proper sacrifice. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? God is saying, I would have accepted Cain. And then he says, and if thou doest not well, then we see the story there. Sin lieth at the door. And so Cain had a choice. Now, again, we find some statements about Cain, some hard statements about Cain in Hebrews and First John chapter 3 and also Jude. But here we see that he had the same privilege that Abel had in receiving salvation from the Lord. Now, let's go back to our text and notice as we come back. Now, again, uh, I want to give you just a, a few quotes here. And I thought I would not deal with this much again and we will not deal with it through the whole sermon. But uh, when we talk about the subject of absolute predestination... I know you've heard the term. The word predestination is in the scripture. We've read it twice in the last three weeks. It's a good Bible word. It's in the book of Romans in chapter 8 in verse 29. It's also in Ephesians chapter 1. It's a good word. But when we talk about absolute predestination... That is that God elected in eternity past certain ones to heaven and certain ones to hell. There has to be a balance in the teaching of God's Word. You've heard me use that word balance many, many times with a lot of subjects. And you have in this debate now, and I hear it from time to time you have the on one side, we'll just use the terms that are used in theological arguments, Calvinism on one side, and you have Arminianism on the other side. Both of these are extreme and both of them are wrong. I've, I have neither adhered to either side on this in any way throughout my Christian life. It has caused division among God's people, even in Baptist churches. So, so it's, it's a, it's, it's just, there's just been a lot of arguments over it. People get hung up on theological systems and movements, and then they want to, want to make the scripture conform to their system that they have. Calvinism is, is a theology that produces intellectual pride among many people. And it is based, I believe, upon human reasoning and not the Holy Scripture. Now, the real issues that come up, and we, again, we, all of those, that series we did, uh, I think nine weeks in a row, or maybe eight, seven or eight weeks in a row, then there's a few others added in different years. But the main debate has centered around how to reconcile the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. That's the real debate. And I've never seen a problem with this in the Scripture. I I think there's harmony. uh, I think they're compatible, and they're distinctly taught in the Scriptures, and the balance, both divine grace and human freedom and responsibility, are necessary for reconciliation. I don't really think it's complicated. Do we understand every verse and every little detail? No, I just mentioned part of one in Romans or Genesis four, the latter part of that. There's two or three different interpretations that people have for that. First part of it is extremely clear. And, uh, and so there is harmony. And if we're not careful, we'll be in the ditch stuck either on one side of the road or the other with some of these uh, theological systems. These are man-made doctrines. They always have to be propped up and defended. And I, I've heard all sorts of things uh, in, in the circles, again, on both sides, but will mainly focus in on this thing about absolute predestination. It, in In my opinion... It is a a dangerous doctrine. As a matter of fact, um, uh, this is um, a quote here. The teaching of absolute predestination, that is, before the foundation of the world, God elected certain individuals to heaven and certain ones to hell. goes on to say, God elected in eternity past whom he would save and whom he would send to hell. Well, that's a dangerous thing to think about and to even say. Because in Islam, Allah's predestination, Allah ordains the fate of all men. This is taken from uh, the Quran, uh, a verse, um, uh, SURA 81, verse 29. Allah creates some to heaven and some to hell. We find that the decree of Allah, according to the Quran, teaches all things are created after a fixed decree and Allah leads astray whomsoever he will and guides whomsoever he will. But again, that's that's dangerous. It's very dangerous. And um, I want to give you some, some quotes, uh, just a few here, but let me clarify something. When we talk about especially hyper-Calvinism. There are those that even teach that you must be regenerated before you can be saved or can have faith. Here's a quote from well one well-known author. He's deceased now, but he said, Regeneration always precedes faith. Think that through just a little bit. You're going to be saved and regenerated before you ever had faith in Christ, see? And they really warp these, these uh, things up. Hyper-Calvinism believes in limited atonement, limited love, limited grace, and an unchange, unchangeable plan for God to damn millions uh, to hell. And that's also a quote by another author. We find the acronym TULIP. T-U-L-I-P, to describe the points, the five points of Calvinism. And here they are. T, total depravity. In other words, the inability to believe the gospel. U, unconditional election. Some elected to salvation and some to hell. Limited atonement. That's the reason I read all those verses to begin with limited atonement what do they teach about that that Christ died only for the elect number uh, number uh well the next one that's l the next one is i irresistible grace that means that, that god that god's call cannot be resisted of those who are elected before the foundation of the world and the last one's P T U L I T U L I P tulip P perseverance of the Saints, a persistent effort of those saved. So Augustine or Augustine, however you want to pronounce it, born november thirteenth, three hundred forty five AD, called one of the great fathers of the Latin Church, is the is pretty much the originator in Christendom of this doctrine of salvation and reprobate the rest of mankind. This is where Calvin got much of his theology. And I'll give you some quotes by him. Now, on the other side of this, of Arminianism, uh, instead of uh, Tulip, uh, it's Daisy, D-A-I-S-Y. He loves me, he loves me not. And so that's their side. And, uh, but I want you to listen just to a few quotes, and then we'll get back here to our text. Calvin, on God's preordained Adam's fall. I guess I'm saying this right. Quoting, God not only foresaw the fall of the first man, and in him the ruin of his posterity, but also at his own pleasure arranged it. Now think about that. God knew he would do it and prepared redemption before the foundation of the world, but here also at his pleasure arranged it. In other words, the question I have is God the author of sin? And we know that he is not. Another quote from one of his from Calvin's Institute, and uh, it says I say with Augustine that the Lord created those who, as he certainly foreknew, were to go to destruction, and he did so because he so willed. Another quote out of book 3, page 20, chapter 23, he says, Not all men are created with similar destiny, but eternal life is foreordained for some and eternal damnation for others. Every man therefore being created for one or the other of these ends, we say he's either predestinated to life or to death. Out of his institutes, book uh, number 3, chapter 21, quoting, God devoted to destruction whom he pleases. They're predestinated to eternal death without any demerit of their own, merely by His sovereign will, God chose whom He will have as His children while He rejects and reprobates others. Coming back to Augustine, quoting Calvin, Augustine is so holy with me that if I wished to write a confession of my faith, I could do so out of his writings. And again, Augustine was one of the first to advocate absolute predestination and also taught baptismal regeneration of infants, which is a Roman dogma. Two more quotes out of the Institute, uh, book 3, uh, 22, page, I guess, 22 or chapter 22, says, when it appears that when the doctrine of salvation is offered to all men for their effectual benefit, it is a corrupt prostitution of that which is declared to be reserved, particularly for the children of the church. And Calvin also said, quoting him again, he said, God arranged all things by his sovereign counsel in such a way that individuals are born doomed from the womb to certain destruction." The ruin of the wicked is not only foreseen by his counsel, the wicked have been created for the very end that they may perish. That is pretty bad. And it's false doctrine. Notice back with me in verse 4. He says here in verse 4, he said, first of all, the first statement here, is that who will have all men to be saved. It's God's desire. He wants us to pray for all men, even those in authority, because His desire is that all men be saved. We find that as we come to the Scriptures that God does the saving, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice, as the Lamb of God, as we spoke this morning. The Holy Spirit, in John 16, convicts, beginning in verse 8, convicts the heart of man, but man has a choice as to whether he will believe the gospel and be saved, or whether he will reject that gospel. Man has a choice. And again, there has to be a balance. And i watch watched this on both sides of many doctrines. And um, doctrine of the second coming and many other doctrines, I see this. But there has to be that balance so that we don't blast off into outer space on certain issues. I remember my generation is the hippie generation, the drug culture generation. Uh, And I think there's many hippies back then took a drug trip and never returned from it. Well, I think there's many when it comes to certain theology that they take a trip, you know, and and their systems that they put together and they never return from that. They get so locked into it that every verse they read their system, you know, into that. And it's so dangerous. Now, notice the second statement in, in our text the second statement here in verse 4, he says, uh, who will have all men to be saved, and here's the second statement, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. So God, and these are closely connected together, but God desires that all men be saved, but God also desires that we come unto the knowledge of the truth. In other words, the whole revelation of God in Christ Jesus, to know the ultimate aim of Christianity, in other words, God wants us to have a deeper and fuller knowledge of the Lord, that we grow daily. I'm going to give you an example. Um, we read, Turn with me to Colossians one. Let's turn to Colossians chapter one. I want to begin reading in verse nine. Now parallel passages we read just a few weeks ago when we was in Romans, say two or three weeks ago, would be uh, Ephesians 1, verse 15 through 23. Paul's prayer for the church is uh, is that they would be spiritually uh, growing in the things of the Lord. And Paul himself prayed in Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9, that, that he would grow closer and to know the Lord and the fellowship of his sufferings and so forth. In other words, to be growing in this. You know, truth is the opposite to a lie. It is that which is... Truth is that which is reliable and can be trusted. So God wants all men to be saved. Will all men be saved? No. We see that in the scripture. We see that in our own lives, you know, in the time in which we live. But God's desire... And salvation is offered. All Jesus is the way and the truth and the life in John chapter 14 and verse 6. In John 17 and verse 17, the word of God is truth. We come unto the knowledge of the truth as we become Christians. In chapter 15 of John, verse 26, the spirit of truth. And so, you remember Pilate... um, Uh, asks the Lord says what is truth in John chapter 18 verse 36 to 34 and uh, we find that Jesus said he came to bear witness of the truth and there are those of the truth who believe the truth and follow him in John 8 verse 32 and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free also in 2nd Peter 3 18 He says, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So God's desire is that we uh, be saved and that we grow in truth. We come unto the knowledge of the truth. And this is not to debate and argue. This is that we can really walk and be pleasing to God. The word truth is used in... Uh, in our text, in chapter three, First Timothy three fifteen, it's used in chapter four and verse three. Used in chapter six and verse five. Just this one word, truth. It's also used in Second Timothy chapter two and verse fifteen. Study to show thyself a proven a God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, dividing truth from error. And then it's used again in Second Timothy. 3, 3, verse 7 and 8, and Titus 1 and verse 1. These all three are pastoral epistles. So notice here, I want to read in Colossians. We'll actually close here in this passage. Let me give you three other verses to write down. Isaiah 59, 14, truth has fallen in the streets. In other words, it's been trampled on. Romans 1, verses 18 through 25, we find that the nations exchange the truth for a lie. They exchange the truth and the wrath of God comes upon all those who hold the truth in unrighteousness, but they worship and serve the creature instead of the creator. So they exchange the truth for a lie. And then in Second Thessalonians 2 verses 9 through 15, we see the ultimate danger of rejecting the truth and its damnation those who reject it well notice the importance here in our text i'm reading verses 9 uh, through uh, 11 or 12 and he says here he said for this cause we also since the day we heard it speaking of their faith do not cease to pray for you And to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, reason. Verse 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now look at this, strengthened with all might, according to His glorious power, unto all patience, and long-suffering with joyfulness. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We see here that God wants us in verse 9 to be filled with all knowledge, all the, the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. The reason, verse 10, that we might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful, and every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, and that we would be strengthened in verse 11. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we thank you tonight for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this privilege. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to... Find and keep that balance in Thy Word, the truths that You've given to us. Lord, help us to stay on the straight and narrow path. We thank You for loving us. We thank You, Lord, for saving us. We thank You for the things that You have given to us beyond just saving us. And we ask now tonight for Your blessings to be upon the remaining of the service. For it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen.